Tough week for the Toronto Blue Jays, and uh, man, I mean, it's just been a tough week in general. Um, but we're gonna try to lift some spirits just a tad, as much as we can. It's not ever easy, but we do our we do the best we can. So welcome back to the Tip of the Tower podcast. David Morrissey here with Jake Middleton. Austin Owens is we we pretty much gave him the week off. Didn't really have much of a choice, but um, the last time we talked. Marcus Stroman was traded, and things were, you know, people weren't happy, but it wasn't, you know, end of the world. Then the Aaron Sanchez trade went down. People were even more upset, rightfully so. And then it feels like things kind of hit rock bottom. Jake, would that be the best way to describe it? Has has the have the Blue Jays fan has blue have Blue Jays fans hit rock bottom? Uh, I think the confidence level in this front office has definitely hit rock bottom. So if if that's what you mean by the fan base, yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say I mean, fans. I, I, I'm not their biggest fans, but I I would say I'm having a lot more fun than I guess being like a fucking Tigers fan or something. An Orioles fan, a Royals fan, <laughs> Royal fan, Marlins fan, a Mariners Seattle, fan, Seattle Mariners fan. There, there's like ten teams that are way worse off. Yeah, I, I would, I would. Th- that is the thing. You know, people are so fixated on what's wrong with their team, but in a sport like baseball, where you're, you know, competing against other teams, I think, I think the big picture part does get thrown out the window just a tad, especially here in Toronto. It's always about what this front office is doing wrong. And look, their trading track record has not been perfect. I think the big mandate, though, has been to get younger, get rid of the older guys. We heard the comment of turning six years of control into 42 years of control. Um, The best comment I had about that is like, yeah, good luck uh, selling that to the marketing team. Fantastic comment, but... Yeah, the, I understand the the issues between the fan base and the front office. Obviously, you know there was that comment last year where the fan, where <laughs> I think it was Shapiro that said, "No, this team would have done the rebuild earlier, but it was because of the fan base that they didn't." Yeah, that, they, they, I think their biggest issue is they just have comments that are seen by many to be tone deaf, um, and they they kind of make make the fans seem like they're stupid and they're not especially in this marketplace you know like the whole oh we're competing because of the fans Mm -hmm. i mean that was a joke like if you're gonna rebuild rebuild they're not stupid they're not they're not gonna like we've seen this in the past when they're not good or even when they're not making the playoffs people aren't gonna show up i mean that was so short-sighted i mean eh 
in the end, it didn't really matter that much because I, I, I don't know um, what they could have gotten for Donaldson. But outside of that, I mean, they basically have done everything else, I, I'd say, to, I guess, the best of their abilities. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, not, as, I'm not as upset as some people are. I'm not the biggest fan at some of the trades they've made, but they have been put in some pretty tough situations. So, and based on the future outlook, it could be much, much worse. That that is true. It could be much worse. This is the issue. This this uh, front office inherited an aging roster with some promising talent, and then with probably the worst farm system in baseball. Yeah, with one of the worst farm systems in baseball. And look, they took the right approach in saying, you know, we want to, you know. Replenish the farm system, which I think they've had. They have done that to a degree. Um, I, I don't think a team's ever done replenishing a farm system. I think any team is going to try to add as much young talent as they can. But when you look at okay, Bautista, that that claim about the contract and you know, what he wanted, I think that was more of a sign that you know he wanted out but didn't want to make it clear he wanted out. Like, look, if you ask for a contract like that at his age, even though, yes, he had the home run numbers, but everything else wasn't exactly lining up right, I think it's almost clear that you, you're you looking for a way out in a way. I don't know if you agree with that sentiment at all, but I feel like... Yeah, I mean, they were never going to pay that, nor no. should they have. No, and I think he realized that he, he felt, you know... He saw the company Rogers owning the team and what their revenues were uh, reported as, and he's like, "Yeah, they can pay it." But we all know that you know when it comes to a company, the revenues are you know the reason why the revenues are the way they are is because they are able to keep costs low. That's the biggest part to it. So I understand. Um. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I understand the. Fr- I just. I understand the frustration. It didn't help that Sanchez threw six innings of no hit ball. I no, mean, uh, that certainly didn't help. Oh man, I just. Uh, it, it it is tough. I understand that, but then when you watch the last what two weeks, what this team has done. I think this is probably the easiest Blue Jays baseball to watch than we've had since 2016. This is a young... Yeah, yeah probably. A, yeah, easily. Better than the past two years. Sure, there were some mistakes, and that's something you're going to get with a young team, but they can hit. They have, you know, they're only going to get better. That is probably the biggest thing I think people don't realize, is this young group is going to get better with more experience... And the only thing, obviously, we're all wondering is, can they get the pitching to match up with what they have, you know, up and down the lineup? Um, we, we haven't seen any of that pitching materialize yet. I mean, Sean Foley had a rough outing against the against the Orioles, but part of that was also Bichette with the error. They really had one, one earned run. Yeah, because the uh, the Bichette error put up three, I three think, against them, and the dropped the dropped uh, thing. I think it was by Drury, Drury or yeah. Guriel dropped. Uh, Guriel had one in the outfield that didn't go well. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm 
I like the most of these guys, except for Guriel and Guerrero. Most of these guys were brought in from this current current Blue Jays front office. So clearly, they the development system is working the right way. It's just we're not happy with how. I guess it's just the lot maybe the lack of transparency with the current guys on the roster. Because you look at the 2016, the the last. I think there's only one player left. That's Justin Smoke. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. And he's the guy that I remember two years ago. They signed him to that two-year extension. Everybody was losing their minds, and that probably was one of the better contracts the team has signed. Yeah. And the other one, I'm eh, I'm still not sure what the plan is with that one, but Randall Gritchick's uh, long-term deal. I think people got caught off guard, and that deal came out, and so they thought, okay, they're going to try to you know, create a nucleus and you know try to include Strowman and Sanchez with Gritchick because the age is all lined up. I think that sent the wrong message. But at the same time, when I look at this team, there are holes. I mean, this isn't a perfect team because if it was a perfect team, they would be in a better situation. But I'm more optimistic that this is something that can last for a good five, six years as opposed to what we've seen the last few years, which is 2015, that roster went through transformation. 2016, that roster went through transformation. This, they, they want less turnover, and I do believe that. It's just can they can they get enough talent? I did also didn't understand the comment from Atkins saying they have, what, 20 pitchers or something, 27 pitchers that check off boxes to be MLB starters? Yeah, that was a bit optimistic. I, like, when I look at it, uh, they probably have – seven guys maybe and you need starters you need relievers um it's not just oh we got no no six number five starters no you need to develop top end guys too um but the other thing i want to bring up is we look at everyone looks at the houston astros and the exciting times that they've had i mean we remember how no how terrible they were before they actually developed into a contending team. And then that's when they added all the guys around the core. I think that, if you're a Blue Jays fan, is I think that's kind of the the direction this front office appears to want to go through. Would you that would that comparison make sense for you? Uh which which team you said? The Astros. Yeah, I mean that's just that's just a model for everybody. Even even like the Dodgers, the Dodgers don't, I mean, look at them, look how risk averse they've been in the past. They haven't traded any of their young players. Um, and they just have a huge budget because they were able to pay their players. I think that's sort of the model that they're following the Astros and, and the Dodgers where they're going to consistently be able to have talent that flows through their major league system to complement their stars. Yeah, that, that is the thing. And I think, I mean, they did say, you know, eventually we are going to put in the money. It's not, they're going to have money to spend. They have a budget from, you know, from the ownership to spend. It's just right now it's also tied up to players that are not playing on the team because they were making way too much money. Um, so 
I think within, I don't think next year, but I think the year after, I think that's where you're going to start to see the, the investment financially start to, start to come in. I think that's the timeline. If within next year they should be pushing forward, probably you, around five hundred next year, and then next year you want to at least be competing in the top three. Like I look at this year with the AL East. Yes, the Yankees have been dominant, but the Red Sox have been have been god awful. Yeah, they've just been. They just can't pitch, and they can't. They can't get starting pitching, can't get relief pitching, but they can score. And uh, you kind of wonder what they're going to do in the offseason because it doesn't look like they're going to make the playoffs. They're like eight games back or something. They're losing like 9 nothing to the Yankees right now. Uh, but it ma- makes yeah. you think that they're going to they're going to go out and they're going to they're going to spend a lot of money on on uh, probably a pitcher, so we'll see. So this is my next question. They already made two major investments with David Price and Chris Sale. Yeah. So and Chris Sale's been kind of part of the problem. I mean, he's still a, a good pitcher, but he hasn't been the pitcher that we've seen. And David Price, he's been really inconsistent. I always, whenever I watch Chris Sale, he's either dominant or he gets knocked around. Like, against the Jays, he threw, like, a one-hitter with, like, 20 strikeouts, and then he'll allow nine runs. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to – I'm not uh, too sure what David Price's numbers have been like. They've been okay. I think he's got, like, around a four ERA or something like that. 3.86. Yeah. Uh, he is – yeah, and, and last year he was okay. Uh, not as good as he was in his first year of Boston, where he, you know, he's had, you know, three point three eight ERA. He's had a three point five eight ERA. Um, first year was a three point nine nine ERA. Like, again, I, I think this is a guy that I think this is a, a Boston team that hasn't really developed much of their pitching staff either. If I'm not. No, wrong. they haven't. That that's like that's mainly a thing that. Um, teams that have had success building building teams, they haven't really done that. They haven't really developed their own pitchers. I mean, outside of maybe Cleveland. I mean, look at the Astros. They've traded for pretty sure all five of their starters or were trade guys they traded for. Yeah, um, and also they probably traded some of those guys to get Chris Sale. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, you look at their stars, the only starter that has actually has an ERA under four is Price. Because Porcello is a 5.74, uh, Sales 4.68, which is obviously not his, his you know, the caliber you expect from him. This is a guy who the last two years has had an ERA under three. I mean, And like, didn't he just sign like a $200 million deal? Ooh, that's good. okay. So I'm pretty sure they did it yeah. before his deal expired. He is, and everybody was like, "Why would you do that?" So he is signed through 2024. It was a five-year, 145 million dollars. So about 30 million a year. And he is 30 years old. Yep. That's that is not smart. So that's that's the one thing with Dave Dombrowski is you know he 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 is good at making the big moves but then when it comes to the the signs like 
There have been quite a few signings he's had. Like, we'll look at what happened with Detroit. With Dave Dombrowski's M.O. before he actually managed to win with the Red Sox is he comes in, he guts the hell out of the, their farm system, and then he overpays guys. Yeah. Well, I think... Uh, and, I mean, if you look at Boston's uh, farm system, it's the worst in baseball, and it's, it's not really close. It's probably why they could not, could not get a deal done for a pitcher. Like, yeah, I mean, it's you're basically pulling out maybe second-tier prospects when everybody wants frontier prospects. I mean, that's why there's that's why I always thought it was a joke whenever they were getting talked about for like Edwin Diaz because they'd have to pl- pluck somebody off their major league roster. Yeah, because most of their top guys are on the roster. Like I look at, uh, I'd say all of them. Yeah, Betts, Bogarts, Devers, uh, Benatendi. Who's Chavis? Chavis. Let's see here. There's a lot of guys. Like they have a really good lineup. It's just again number one a run scored. Yeah, uh, and that's <laughs> usually when a team is has that much run scored, but is not in the, in the playoff picture or close to it. You can usually piece that together that it has something to do with their uh, with their pitching. So. Uh, Blue Jays fans, those of you that want the team to spend money, not always a recipe for success in baseball. I know the Yankees do it, the Dodgers do it, but they also have the, they also spend it the right way. They spend it on the younger guys, they spend it on the right pitchers, not just guys that are aging and kind of loot on the decline. Oh, Tanaka. Um, Jacoby Ellsbury, I mean, everybody's got those terrible contracts. Every team does. But, I mean, at, at this point, you got to look at it like, what, are you, what, would, what, would, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to, you know, spend $30 million on a 30-year-old or something like that? Or do you want us to wait and pick our spot and find a guy that fits in free agency? Like, maybe they could take a shot at a Manny Machado or or a Garrett Cole or someone like that in free agency where they're going to give five years and over $100 million for it. Something that I personally don't think they'll ever do um, because, frankly, it's the smart thing to do. History shows all those contracts that you give that are $100 million deals and over five years always, almost always end badly. Yeah. Only Except one... maybe that first A-Rod contract, yeah. the 10-year one. Um, but I, I think... I think the next move for them is, you know, outside of the payroll flexibility they have now, I'd rather them not overpay for guys that aren't going to drastically improve their team, let the young guys shake it out, decide who's who's going to fit on the roster moving forward and who's not, and, hell, put that money into renovating Rogers Center or something like that. Do something that actually, you know, builds the ballpark up. I mean, obviously they've put, what is it, like $90 million into rebuilding their um, – Spring training, yeah. uh, spring training parks. So. That, that's the other thing is, throughout all these years, we we talk about, oh, they need to do this, they need to do that, you know. But the big part of what Mike Mark Shapiro did in Cleveland was he didn't necessarily have all the impact on the roster. It was fixing the stadium, making sure they had a good spring training home. Like, I don't know if anybody's ever been to the Blue Jays. Like, I went to spring training. This one in two years. It's been two years now. 
I, I went to the, the Tigers um, spring training stadium. Or Yankees or Red Sox. They're oh first, God. they're world class. It's like, I'd rather go watch a baseball game here than watch it at the Dome. Like, um, you know, we, we've heard all the talks about the Rogers Center. We've heard all the talks about the, that something needs to change. And look, it's that the problem is is this stadium was built with concrete. It's a concrete stadium. You can't just knock off a block of concrete and expect to. You know, it's expensive. You know, the things that they want to do are probably expensive. So they're trying. You know, Shapiro's trying to figure out ways that the money is going to go to the. You can't just throw money in and hope it's going. You have to throw money in the right places. Anybody can throw money in or try to throw lipstick on a pig. You're like, oh, we threw money at this. And, uh, you know, you should come watch more games now because we did what you wanted. No, I want them. You'd want them to throw the money at the right right thing. Because even if you, if you throw too much money and it just doesn't have the improvement you want, um, then, you know, look at other options. I know everyone's talking about them trying to build a new stadium. I don't think that's going to happen. There's no way. It's in too perfect of a of a place. Like Jake, I it's know right along the water and the yeah. brewery district or distillery district or whatever the hell it's called, um, right near uh, near the train station and stuff like that. It it they should never move out of that spot. It's no. way too perfect a spot. But they really do have to renovate it. But it's they have to pick their spot and what. And I think one of the things that would be smart for them to do would be to give like a selection of options and let fans decide on what they'd like to see improved whether it be i mean obviously people love the flight deck and stuff like that whether it be putting a restaurant or a bar uh in the outfield for me i would completely switch out all the all the seats and replace the seats because i think they are horrible there's no leg room or anything so <laughs> yeah, you, you you're there, you're there more than me you know more than me but I know they did. They did do some renovations to um, the concourse, but it's still it's pretty hollow when you're in there. You, you feel like you're underground. Uh, I, I I don't. The, the problem is, is that you know this facility isn't just a baseball stadium. To so you know they do concerts, so they keep that part in mind whenever they. I guess they have to do the renovations, but. Yeah, like I, I look at you know the uh, facade where the uh, like the area where the the screen is, like those seats over there, like you could have something over there, uh, like a standing room section for fans because you know fans want areas to be able to walk around or just grab a be close to the you know go grab a beer watch a game. It it definitely needs. It needs some really good love. It can't just be a half-assed job. Um, I think the seats would be a, a good good upgrade as well. I think that's a good point. I think they wouldn't. I don't think they would mind taking out seats because they did that in Cleveland. Because look, you can take out seats and make that money back somewhere else. If you're, well, they they have to they have to drastically improve. I'm pretty sure they've had really bad uh, things. They've had issues with like corporate suites and stuff like that. I mean, what is Rogers Center now? Like 49,000 or 40, something I think it's along those lines. 48,000 is usually a sellout just under 40. Bring it 000. down to bring it down to 45. 
Yeah. Chop off 2,000 seats. What's Yankee Stadium? What's there? I think it's around 52 or something like that. It's a pretty big stadium, but like um, one of the best ballparks is is uh, Fenway, and it's like 34,000. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the fold. I think I'm pretty sure it's about 48,000. Is... Yankee Stadium is 54 and change. Wow. That's I mean and but they like that thing was is a it's a behemoth like, you know the Yankees knew that they had to, if they were gonna take out old Yankee Stadium they had to replace it with something. That was wow. Rogers Center's fifty three thousand. It's fifty three, but again, oh, well for baseball it's forty nine two eight two. Yeah, but they also so bring it down to forty five thousand. Mm-hmm. Cut out four thousand seats and you'll get extra leg room and stuff like that. It would just make such a better product. And also, it's not a bad thing um, when, especially with baseball, having less empty, less empty seats because it's pretty hard to sell out, uh, you know, even, 40, even 42,000 seats every single night. Even bringing down to 42,000 wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah. It, it honestly wouldn't be. Um, you could definitely renovate the outfield area because I feel like that area is – it's kind of lifeless in a way. I don't think it has. I think it hasn't reached its total potential. Um, They've done a couple of good things with the flight deck, yeah, but they have. Yeah, they have to do more. And I mean, that fucking hotel looks so stupid. I I always continuously forget about that. Yeah, I think um, somebody had mentioned they should get rid of the hotel, but it's like you know. That in itself, or, or even change it. Like I saw a proposal where they make it like brick, so it kind of looks like an old uh, ballpark, like they do in Ooh, St. Louis. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that would be a bad idea. Because like, I, I've now I've been, the only other uh, baseball park, uh, like Major League Baseball park I've been to is Family Park, and then I'm just like, man, it's really tough to go watch a Jays game when you've watched the game at Fenway. Because even there, it's it's open. It's you could like you're in there in that atmosphere because everything is kind of close and tight. Um, you know, you've got that old school feel, but you know, there's some modern aspects of it too. I I just think the whole roof part is is so stupid. Um, yeah. I have no problem with it being you know slightly covered or putting uh, covers over the stands, but it's just. It's just so impractical, and it costs way too much money. Yeah, it does. It's like the main. They did some serious maintenance because of the ice storm and the ice that pierced through the uh, membrane. Like, yeah, but that was supposed to be the whole charm of the dome, revolutionary. They, you know, you could have baseball in you know March, and the snow wouldn't be a problem. But and yet, it has been a problem lately. Um, so. I agree that management does need to find other ways other than the baseball roster to show this is why we were brought here. We weren't just brought here to fix the roster. There were other areas that this organization needed to be fixed and we're taking strides to get it done. And, and you know, it's funny, though, because we, we've heard the comments from fans on management. And then you hear Strowman's comments to uh, Mark Longley of the Toronto Sun where he basically he basically said like you know this management group did not didn't offer me a contract if they did they was they're lying and then there was the um, 
hit the comments where he said he talked to other teammates and they, you know, they didn't understand why that team wasn't brought back and like you know they, there's no one left. I, I didn't. The only reason why I didn't like the Sherman comments is just like it's like throwing salt on the wound. Like he won the PR battle with that with that with management. Like nobody is saying, "Yep, Sinar Marcus, nobody wants you around here anymore." Like it wasn't like that, and I felt like it was just adding fuel to a fire that you didn't need to. It's like taking lighter fluid to a barbecue pit and just you know throwing the whole bottle on top of it. Yeah, I don't know. I, t- I don't know what he thinks he's he's winning at this point or improving himself. I just it makes him look bad. He kind of just like sounds petty, and in my opinion, it it's not helping his case. Certainly not. I mean, what I wouldn't do is trash ex employers, and it would probably scare off future employers, considering he's he's looking for a lot of money. Uh-huh. He's looking for a lot of money. He wants a team. Like he he feels like you know he has this chip on his shoulder constantly, and for some teams they they don't like their the players to. Now let's not say that they should, players shouldn't have a voice. They should definitely have a voice, but it's it can be very tiring. Like we heard, I longly put in that piece that there was some in the Blue Jays front office that kind of felt some relief. They didn't have to deal pretty much didn't have to deal with Stroman's crap anymore. Because, you know, for him to not talk to the media afterwards while causing a storm in the clubhouse because he was traded. But then, you know, I look at what how he left, and then I look at how Aaron Sanchez left. Aaron Sanchez, you could tell there was genuine, you know, emotion that he was upset that he was leaving. Um, but he took the time to talk to reporters. He took the... Act- did Strowman take out an ad in the newspaper? I know he put out no, the, I don't the think tweet. So. I think it was just the, the tweet. Like, you know, Sanchez, that's where it cuts deeper for someone. that Like, for me, because, you know, Sanchez was a guy that didn't, you know, yeah, he had he, he had his, uh, his moments where he didn't, he had some very controversial comments, I would say, or just comments that just like, Eh, not a fan of it, but you know the emotion. You can tell he was speaking on emotion. Um, there, there, there. Everyone's kind of using Strowman and Sanchez as kind of like the the di- two different extremes of how they have dealt with being traded from this team. Yeah, um, that was. I think that was another thing that kind of improved the the way the Jays were looking at it, uh, or the way the Jays uh, perceived the trade was based on what they received. Uh, you know, I I think it just went to prove that people didn't value him as much as we did here, and I think it kind of proved to him people don't value him as much as he values himself. Um, but based on what everybody's saying, I don't think the Yankees had pretty much any real interest i mean they they set their price of what a lot of other teams were was that he's a third starter which is true i mean he was an ace on the blue jays because they're horrible but they looked at you know his body of work which 
you know, I can't hold past him. I personally thought he was a number three starter, but adding in the fact that, you know, he is a little outspoken, he's someone that, you know, tends to tends to lean on you a little bit and, and it's he's got a grinding personality and it's not for everybody. I I mean I I can't blame them because I'd probably feel the same way. You're just like you know, sometimes maybe sixty five percent of the time you're like, Yeah, there you go, Stroman, like you tell him and then there's another thirty percent and you just are looking at him like, All right, dude, you're you're just trying to make something up when there's nothing to be there and and it, it's it's way more. I've never realized it more now that he's not on the team, especially with his little antics with um, calling out management and stuff like that. I wasn't really a fan, so maybe it it kind of makes sense now based on the package they got for him. Yeah, and um, but actually, talking about the package they got for him, MLB Pipeline put out their updated rankings. Um, Always excited to see that. So, uh, have you looked at uh, at the Blue Jays MLB pipeline list? I have, yeah. It's uh, it's a pretty exciting list. I think I saw the um, Bleacher Report ranked uh, farm systems, and I believe the Jays were um, were seventh. I think. Mm-hmm. Notice two of their newer acquired pitchers now on the top ten of their MLB pipeline list in Anthony yeah. Kay and Simi Woods Richardson, who. Okay, let, let's talk about that one. Um, Anthony Kay's had his first start in AAA. Didn't really go his way. Um, no, he, he did have – he had an error that cost him, I think, re, three runs. So I think he had uh, three earned or four earned instead uh, – four earned on seven runs allowed. Yeah. But, I mean, based on – I didn't really get a chance to watch. It's really hard to find streams on minor league baseball so the best i could do is kind of follow the game tracker and he got into a lot of two strike counts he really has to find an out pitch especially in triple a because he allows contact but that's not a great thing when people put the ball in play especially nowadays you're looking for a strikeout pitcher yeah i hope they spend the next month Really trying to hone down on his game. I don't even care if he play if he gets called up in September. He might, depending on how the rest of the se- his uh, minor league season goes. But this is a guy who obviously will have his ups and downs this the rest of the year. You know, going to a new team and and things like that. But I also look at um, let's see, Buffalo. Yeah, so four point two innings. That's how that's how many he went through. So yeah, four and two thirds. Um, and then Simi Woods Richardson had he his, was the complete opposite. He was he was dominant. And then, um, and then things kind of went off the rails a little bit near the end there. So uh, the not walks, really. I mean, well, the walks he, were the problem. Yeah, that was the issue. That was the big issue with it, which was weird. I mean, I, I again, I was I was like uh, trying to see how his debut went, and I was following. On a game tracker, which is really similar to the MLB game tracker, mm-hmm. he was just not getting any pitches on the outside of the zone or the bottom of the zone. And this is, I think, I think he is the best walk to uh, strikeout guy in all of minor league baseball. So it was kind of weird seeing him walk four guys in an inning. He walked four guys in an inning, and I think then he allowed his only hit of the whole game was like a bases clearing double. 
which kind of killed him. So he allowed four runs. But he is – if you looked, I think I sent you some of the like the yeah. pitch charts. Yeah, you did. And he was just painting the bottom right corner, just wasn't getting any calls. And, I mean, if he continues to be able to paint it with his control, I mean, he has the stuff to be able to get out there. I, I was really impressed with um, – you know what I was hearing from scouts and what I've seen and in the few videos that I have and also the fact that he's the youngest player in the minors right now I'm pretty sure or the youngest person drafted that's in the minors right now and he's in high A as an 18 year old which is almost unheard of I believe he's four years younger than the average player in it yeah so I'm not too concerned about him um, we are just going to take a quick break because I do have to go to the bathroom and I don't want to have to hold it. So we are going to take a quick break and we'll get right back to it. So I do want to talk about the other guys. All right, that's probably one of the first times I've actually taken a bathroom break during a podcast. So thank you, Jake, for being patient with me on that, <laughs> on that one. Maybe you could cut that part. <laughs> I should. I freaking headphones flew off my head. It's never happened to me before. Um, all good. That's why podcasts are not like the radio for a couple reasons. All right. So let, let's just, I, I actually found that uh, screenshot you sent me of Simeon Woods Richardson's um, the pitch chart. And yeah, oh, there were some pretty close calls in that, in that, at, in those he was events. just, he was just basically like saying to the ump, like, yeah, how about you fucking call one? Yeah. Like he, he didn't call a thing. There were at least two pitches that could have been that should have been strikes. And then in the other at bat I'd say one. Which makes a difference. Like, you know, when you're when you're behind the count like that, you You, you would have gotten out of the inning. Yeah. So it, it, it definitely does make a difference. I do agree on that one. Um let's also talk about the 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 guy who's probably had a harder week than Blue Jays front office, and that's Derek Fisher. Um, oh, you know it's bad enough. I mean, look, I I I've played a little bit of baseball. I haven't played at the major league level, level obviously. Um, uh, I mean, I under, I don't know what exactly happened on that play. That caused him to lose sight of the ball and let it hit him right in the face. That was bad. It was just bad that it happened on the same night that Sanchez and Biagini combined for seven innings of no hit baseball. I mean, he was, he's never gonna, he's never getting the benefit of the doubt. You just, I mean, you just gotta hope he becomes anything, even if he can bat 275 and get. 15 homers and 60 RBIs it's better than better than nothing but uh, yeah he's under the gun right now so maybe the pressure look I don't think people understand that these guys deal with so much pressure I don't think that he's probably gone comfortable yet knowing that what he was you know who he was traded for look prospects can't control who they've been dealt for there no. are so like I'm trying to think of other deals that have been lopsided deals. Like, okay, R.A. Dickey was never going to live up to that trade because he was dealt for Noah Syndergaard. Uh, I mean, he I thought he did pretty well. He was pretty pretty good. He was like a 
pretty good pitcher for the Blue Jays. I, I mean, I think he might have won like 60 games or something like that. His first season, he went 20 and 6. Or no, he went 14. He went, never mind. He was coming off a 20 and 6 season. Mm-hmm. My fault. Yeah, he was really good when he when he came over from from the Mets. Yeah. He won a Cy Young, I'm pretty sure. Yep. And then it kind of didn't... I mean, in the end, for people, all the people that love Alex Anthopoulos, I mean, I think we can all agree that was a horrible trade in hindsight. Trading, like, what, four pieces and two top prospects for a 38-year-old fucking knuckleballer? I mean, that was that was never a smart thing to do. I mean... It was do it for do it for a guy that's twenty seven, not 30, 37. Yeah, and a knuckleball pitcher that hadn't pitched in the AL East. Exactly. Yeah. And a knuckleball like the, I think what he saw was this guy eats a lot of innings. He hit and he did. He had two hundred in every year except for one in Toronto. Yeah. Um. He. His ERA was under four twice, but. No, again, Anthopolis traded away Syndergaard, uh, Hoffman, who was considered a top pitching prospect uh, at that time. They were lucky. The only thing that really came out of those uh, trade deadline trades was pretty much Matthew Boyd. Yeah. Colorado got nothing out of it. Uh, Detroit only got Boyd. That's about it. And everything else was just garbage. Like that, I think it was the twenty. 20- 14 season, if I'm not wrong. I'm just trying to remember. No, 2015 season. Okay. Yeah. Well, the 2014 season was the first with when they made that big Marlins trade. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, that was awful. And then 2015 was the year they, they made it to the playoffs. I'm going to look at this. I'm trying to figure out Alex Anthopoulos's track record with trades. Because we're he just... was all right. He was all right. He had a bunch of really big wins and a couple of losses too. So, like he won. Some of the ones he won were um, trading away Vernon Wells. I don't know how the yeah. fuck he did that. Um, getting Josh Donaldson was a big oh, win. I mean, that trade will go down as probably one of the best in Blue Jays history. Yeah, if not, the, sure. I mean, the Alomar one is the top, but this one was. Probably second on that list. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to find. Baseball reference is not very good at. It doesn't have like a filter, it just lists every transaction. Uh, Probably trading away holiday wasn't the best. Yeah, the holiday trade. I think that was Alex trying to do right by holiday. I mean, the thing is, at the time, all those prospects were pretty high high up. Um, they just all busted. Yeah. No, they, yeah, that, that was the thing. I mean, um, okay, here we go. I think we're, we're in business now. Okay. So, I think he took over in 2012? That's when I thought uh, it was. No, it was earlier than that. 2010? I think it was 2008, I believe. Let's see. Um, I'm just trying to find. Yeah, that probably that probably makes a little more sense because I haven't even hit the uh, the holiday trade yet. Because holiday was yeah tooth. Here we go. 
So let's start. We'll start with 2009. I think that's a good. Oh no, we'll start in 2008. Jose Bautista acquired for player to be named later in August 21st, 2008. Yeah, then he also got um, he got Edwin Encarnacion for Scott Rowland. I don't know. That was yeah. pretty pretty good trade. And the Blue Jays got cash. Yeah. In that one. Then in 2009, so Blue Jays got Kyle Drayback, Travis Darno, Michael Taylor for Roy Halladay, and the Blue Jays sent cash. Mm-hmm. Then the Blue Jays acquired Brandon Morrow for Brandon Lee and your Yoherman Chavez. I think that's how you say his name. I don't even know how you say it. Brandon Lee, I remember, was absolutely terrible. So Brandon Morrow was actually a decent he had his injury problems, but I felt he was a decent pitcher at the time. Yeah, Brandon Morrow. Um, there was just a couple of minor deals. Then we go to... Uh, let's go up, up. Okay, 2010, December 6th, Brett Laurie for Sean Markham. Okay. Man, fucking Sean Markham. Remember that guy with the big black beard, right? Exactly. Big black, the long black hair, like the, it's like the greasy black hair. I think that's how you would. Yeah. Then Vernon Wells to the Angels for Juan Rivera and Mike Napoli, who then was traded four days later for Frank Francisco and Cash to the Tex to the Rangers. And then you know he had some smaller deals. Hey, look, Edwin Jackson. <laughs> 2011. Uh, okay, here we go. 2011. This is kind of where he was trying to make some like Sergio Santos was a was a trade that they made. Like you know they they were trying for smaller deals, weren't really getting much. And then let's see here. Oh, I don't know if you remember when they traded uh, J Hap when they traded for J Hap from the from Houston man you look at some of these was that like the Anthony Ghost trade or something no he made a lot of tra- weird trades Anthony Ghost was I think the year before that um oh remember Steve Delabar yeah the side the side hander yeah he was like the math teacher the high school teacher that turned into a reliever and then went to the all-star game him and uh oh what the oh he's not he was he got we went to St. Louis, the left hand, Brett Cecil. Oh, Brett Cecil. I remember that season. We all thought, oh, the Blues are just turning a corner. Then in 2012, so this is, this is so the Blue Jays again missed the playoffs. 2012, November, he makes this trade. So bear with me, it's a long trade. The Blue Jays got Cash, Emilio Bonifacio, John Buck, Jose Reyes, Josh Johnson, and Mark Burley. I remember they got a lot of money taken in. And then they traded to the Marlins. Uh, Hecheveria? Hecheveria? Yeah, Danny Hecheveria. Yeah, Anthony Discalafani. I think that Discalafani, I think that's his name. Discalafani, the guy in the Reds, yeah. Anthony uh, Henderson Alvarez. Uh, Jake Marisnik. Marisnik. Marisnik, thank you. 
Jeff Mathis, Justin Nicolino, who was supposed to be like they're a really good uh, prospect at that time for them, and Yunel Escobar. The guy who wrote, like, I Hate Gay People or something and I Black. Something, yeah, really <laughs> Something stupid. very questionable. Then, uh, a month later, or just under a month later, the Blue Jays got Josh Tolley, Mike uh, Nikias, Nikias? I don't know how I'd say that name. Ari, Ari Dickey for John Buck, Noah Syndergaard, Travis Darno, and uh, Wilmer Bikera. Bikera? I don't know how he's, who the hell is this guy? Never heard of this guy. Um, okay, this guy's not even in their system. So that tells you, I think, all I need to know. Again, so like, you know, Double A made these trades. I remember, like, you know, they didn't do well. That was like a big kind of smack in the face because the Blue Jays were supposed to be like the team on the rise. There was all that hype. Then it all crashed. And then, you know, 2014, it didn't get really much better until November. I feel like this, so I'm going to go through some more trades just to give people an idea. So we've just established a timeline from 2011. That's when the core kind of started to brew a little bit. We're now in 2014, three years later. The first trade, I don't know if you remember, who did the Blue Jays trade Marco Estrada for? Who did they trade to get Marco Estrada? Do you remember? This is to the Brewers. Uh, yeah, I know it's to the Brewers. I'll give you a hint. Ooh. It was an it was an infielder. Infielder. What position was it? First base. He was grew it a Shay Hildebrand or something no, like that. No, he he was the one that grew the stupidest beard after he was traded. Was it Travis Snyder or something? No, he was traded. He was sent. To, he was in uh, Pittsburgh. I think he was in the Donald uh, in the Bautista or something, or he went to. To, no, sorry. He wasn't trading the Bautista. He was uh, sent over eventually to the Pirates. No, Adam Lind. Oh, right. Adam Lind. Yeah. The guy that could only hit lefties or only hit righties. Something like that. Yeah, he was a left-handed bat that I think could only hit righties or something. Then, about 11 days later, Devin Travis for Anthony Ghost. That was the Anthony Ghost trade. So, 2014. So, two deals that kind of started to brew something. Then, November 28th, 2014, arguably one of the best trades, maybe the second best trade in Blue Jays history. Josh Donaldson for Brett Laurie, Kendall Graveman. And Franklin Barreto. Franklin Barreto and Sean Nolan. There you go. Ask me if any of those guys... Are still with the A's. Are still with the A's. Or even still... I think maybe Kendall Graveman? I think he's with... I feel like he's with Kansas City or something. Let's see. We are going to find out. Two guys I want to look up because two names kind of... Kind of sneak sneak up on me here. So I just want to look. So we'll, let's start with Kendall Graveman. Kendall Graveman is with the Cubs. There you go. I didn't know that. He is on the 60-day injured list. 
and he has oh, oh, so he hasn't even played for the Cubs this season yet. But he is on the sixty day injured list. So Oh, he had Tommy John surgery. That's great. That would explain that. Um yeah, this is a guy who hasn't really put it together yet. I mean he had a decent uh no, yeah, he hasn't put it really together yet for them. Franklin Barreto. Let's look at what this guy has done. So he's a shortstop for the A's. Uh, he has played in how many games this season? This season he's hitting 106. He nice. A, he has an OPS of .380. Didn't know it can go that low. Two home runs and four RBI in 47 at-bats. Mm, not good. 17 games this season. So, yeah, real stud right there. Sean Nolan. Jake, you want to take a guess what good old Sean Nolan is uh, doing right now? He probably owns a car dealership or something. Uh, no, he's uh, he's on the Milwaukee Brewers. Not no idea. He is pitched. He is pitched in six games. Sorry, uh, no, he has not pitched a game this year. He only pitched six games with Oakland in that year. He was traded. He is in the minor leagues. Let's look up his minor league stats, cause uh, wow, uh, ooh, this is rough. He's in Triple A. He was in Double A at one point. I'm guessing that might have been a injury stint. He has a three and one record with a five point three two ERA in forty five innings. Not very good. Yeah, no, it's pretty bad. But um, so let's just say, Blue Jays fans, the the team has been on has had their fair share of lopsided trades. So you know. Well, yeah, but I think the main thing that people have had an issue with is how many of this, have this um, front office. office, how many have they won? Yeah, and the answer is probably zero. Oh yeah, no, they have. I'm saying astounding wins. I mean, maybe they won the Liriano trade, but I mean that's that's not really saying a lot. No, I mean you look at their top one hundred, their top ten prospects list. Only two of them have come through trades. Yeah, and they're the two that were acquired. Yeah. So I think this this front office is trying to develop a winning team in a way that's more sustainable because maybe they feel they have a better way of developing and evaluating their own talent than others, which kind of sucks because you expect as a front office to have guys that can evaluate you know, other teams' talent for you. Which so that that's the part that annoys me a little bit is that you know these trades we've made and how unpopular they've looked in the public eye. So that's that's the part that's uh, not very good. But the one thing I am I I do I do appreciate. I mean, you see a guy like Reese McGuire. You know, he was acquired in the Liriano trade. Uh, he comes up, he gets his first uh, first you know first four games in the majors. He late game situation could have been taken out of the game. Um, Charlie Montoya let him go up the bat. He hits the game tying home run. Yeah, it's things like that 
that I that make me encouraged with this front office. Sure, the trades have not looked good. You want you want to have a, a front office that doesn't look like they're going to get taken advantage on trades. I get that, but I also appreciate what they also uh, <laughs> what they also have been able to do with uh, their own talent because I think that's where you you really have to uh, you have to really hit a lot, especially when you're a team with the Jakes who are going to have high draft picks. You know they had a high one this no a half decent one this year. And probably even a better one, although the last uh, their winning streak didn't exactly help in that matter. I no, know, I know Jake, you're uh, a big tank guy. Um, not so not really a big tank guy. I mean, I don't want them yeah. to be like the fucking tigers. No, oh, yeah. uh, I I think it's it would be better for them to lose than it would be to win a bunch of games. But it, it kind of looks like they're going to be picking in that four, five range anyway. Mm, so at this point, so. at this point, I'm not, I'd, I'd change my stance on it. I'd say that I'm, if they lose, I'm not disappointed as long as they have positive results from the young players. And based on what's happened over the past couple weeks, that's, seem, that looks dead on, dead on accurate. I mean, they shouldn't have lost today. They shouldn't have lost yesterday. No. I mean, they they outhit them. They lost today because they had some pretty crappy um, fielding. They had some pretty crappy fielding that cost them a couple runs and yesterday they they allowed one hit and it happened to be with two men on and it was a big three-run homer. Um, but no, I I you know, I I've, I've been I've actually had a pretty good time watching this team play. Because every at bat, well, I'd say maybe five of the five or six of the nine at bats are, are fun to watch, and I mean the pitching is a work in progress. But as long as you know they've identified that some guys actually have the stuff and to be able to be major league pitchers, it's all I really care about. It's all about evaluating for in the future. So just to give you an update, uh, luckily because they didn't sweep the Orioles they allowed the Orioles to gain a little ground on them in the standings so that they wouldn't go too far ahead as that would not um, but the Blue Jays right now you want to see how bad these standings are holy smokes alright MLB standings we know the Tigers are the worst team 32 wins the, I think they've won like 6 games in, a, in 2 months I'm not even kidding they are, they are I thought the I thought the they're Orioles the worst was, team I've they're, them and the Orioles last year might be the worst teams I've ever seen in my life. Wow. So Detroit, bottom of the barrel. Baltimore. They're, they're, you're never catching them. I think the Jays yeah. are like 11 up on the on the Tigers or something 13. ridiculous. 13 up. That's ridiculous. Uh, Baltimore is six games up with 38 wins. Then it is the Kansas City Royals who are. Yeah, you're not catching 40. them either. I think the only ones you have a shot is Miami. at being better than are Miami and the Mariners. The Mariners are two games up. But they are horrible. The Blue Jays will easily catch. So I think the Blue Jays, uh, Pittsburgh is kind of making a run for being bad too. I think the Blue Jays can stay within the five to six range when it comes to the draft. I think the thing that's that I was talking about with other people about is, is the big variance in bonus money, mm -hmm. um, so you 
like that spot, if they were in third, which they're not going to be, it's a million dollars difference, which is huge. Not for you know your individual player that you're taking with your first first round pick, but it's for the second, the third, the fourth. Because I mean, if you look at what the the Jays have done in the past couple drafts, is they've they've drafted higher upside guys in the second and third round, and they've been able to go over slot and. Those guys look like they're going to be really good players. Guys like, I mean, Adam Klofenstein, he's looked like, he looks like he could be, you know, a legit piece in the rotation of maybe a couple of years. He is lighting it up in Vancouver. And Woods Richardson was another overslot guy. Kendall Williams was an overslot guy. And you do that by, you know, underpaying guys like uh, Groshans. I mean, another overslot guy is Nate Pearson. So you do that by, oh, another overslot guy is Bo Bichette. I mean, basically all their top prospects are guys where you've established a value. And I think that's the one thing that's interesting about baseball is you're given like a bonus pool and you can sort of allocate that whoever you want. I, I'm kind of more of a more of a fan of the maybe take a lesser talent at the top and save a bunch of money so you can get a lot better talents in the second and third round because these guys fall. I mean, Kloffenstein fell to... I think it was like a hundredth pick or something like that. And he was supposed to go in the first round potentially. And they got hit a first round talent in the third round because they saved money by taking Groshans, who looks like a steal at this point. Yeah, I think, again, as I said before, this is the part that encouraged me the most is that they, they recognize not even just its overall talent. It's a certain thing that makes them really good. <coughs> um, I like Alex Manoa, Started two games for the Canadians. Uh, three innings pitched, two hits, no runs, five strikeouts. Um, I think eventually you'll see him stretched out as a starter because that's where he projects um, down the road. Uh, Adam Clofestein is with Dunedin right now. Uh, no, he's uh, he's with Vancouver as well as uh, Manoa is. I think he got. I think he's high, higher up now. Let me see here. I'm gonna look this up because I'm. I've been very curious on Klofenstein. I probably should look this up beforehand. But um, he is with loading. Okay, so yeah. Sorry, you're right. He's with the. He is with uh, Vancouver. He has pitched 41 innings, so that's pretty pretty good uh, sample size. He has held batters to 2.40 ERA, uh, and a, they're hitting .196. Yeah, he's he's really settled in. I mean, that's the thing with these high school kids is mainly they don't really they don't really pitch once they're drafted. I mean, um, if you look at guys like Clavenstein didn't pitch at all last year. You know, this is his first real this is his first real time pitching. And same with Kendall Williams. He probably won't pitch a lot, but he'll be in Vancouver next year, much like Kloppenstein is this mm. year. But, I mean, if you look at guys like Kloppenstein, Paradino, Woods Richardson, uh, Manoa, those guys could all be in Dunedin next year. Well, the one thing, too, about Kloppenstein is as each start, he's ramping up the pitch count. Yeah, and the innings. I mean, that's that's what that's like with all these guys. They're just trying to stretch them out so they can pitch longer. Like they've been doing that with Nate Pearson. Uh, I mean, 
he's been they kind of watched his innings limit made him pitch maybe you know two or three innings now they're letting him go five or six so i think they're trying to get him to about 110 innings he's at like 70 or something like that now and hopefully he moves up to triple a yeah, uh, Chad Spanberg, who was uh, acquired in the Sangwon O deal. Yeah, he's hitting. He has eleven home runs, point two eight eight average with uh, New Hampshire, so that's not bad. We know Nate Pearson is killing it. Um, yeah, what? they they were talking about um, on Sportsnet. They were talking about him with Jim Callis, who runs MLB Pipeline, and they were they said he is. They think he's the number one. They've heard scouts from other teams say he's the best pitcher not in the majors right now. So that's high praise considering you got guys like Casey Mize and and um, Mackenzie Gore, guys who were first and third overall picks. Yeah, so you're going to start seeing these guys. I mean, Nate Pearson could be a September call depending on how. I would well. doubt it because that's not really their M.O., Mm-hmm. I mean, the the thing that I've actually appreciated about this front office is they don't they don't rush guys. They kind of let them overdevelop. I mean, look at they've done with Bo Bichette. Uh, they did it with Vlad Guerrero. They kind of left them down there too much, and it's worked out pretty well for them. I mean, Vlad I think is hitting like 500 in his last last like 10 games or something ridiculous, and Bichette is hitting everything right now. So. I, I personally like that, especially because there's no rush in bringing them up because you're going to get the clock started, and it's not like they're ready to compete right now. So That's also um, true, yeah. I forget, but I, 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 I'm just excited because, you know, out, out of the farm system right now, they probably only have, you know, two or three guys that are ready to come up either this year or next year, and I'm including Bichette. Probably Anthony Kay is going to be up next year. Pearson's going to be up probably like trade deadline or – Maybe a little before that, but then after that, they have a lot of a lot of talent. Especially, they're probably going to have a top five pick added in there, and then their second round pick to add to the farm system. It's going to be it's just interesting to see that they kind of have their blocks of talent kind of set over like a two year period. Like you obviously have you know your Vladdy's and your Biggios right now, and then you got are your Vladdy's, your Biggios, the um, and the Bichettes, and then you got the the Pearsons, the Ks, and then after that you'll have the guys like Manoa, the Woods Richardsons, the Groshans, guys like that. So it's 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 interesting to see their plan, especially when you look at you know MLB Pipeline and Fangraphs. You start to notice like they have they have legitimate depth to their system, like they did not have when they first came in. Mm-hmm. So I think there's reason to believe to be optimistic. Let's just say that. Oh, for sure. So, with that being said, um, I think we've covered pretty much everything. I don't think we've missed anything. Oh boy, what happened in the Yankees game? Oh, everyone's talking about poor Geo. Yeah, I think he fouled a ball off his leg or something like Twice. that. Twice. <laughs> During an at bat. Twice. How? I don't know. Buddy. Oh. Yeah, right off his... Right the same at-bat. He took one off one leg and then the other leg. Oh. <laughs> Man, that's, that's going to leave a mark. 
Well, with that being said, it's good to know that not everything is wrong with the Blue Jays. Uh, with that, so um, I think for people that think there's so many issues, I recommend them watch the Blue Jays whenever they're at bat because right now they have four legitimate guys that I think are definitely going to be on the next iteration of the Blue Jays that are going to be contending for playoff spots. Guys, I think Gurriel, Biggio, um, Guerrero, and Bichette are four guys right away already in there. And there are not many teams that have four really good hitters. I mean, the thing that's interesting about them is they're all so different from each other. And, I mean, that's exciting. Yeah. For sure, and they also—I mean—they have the superstar. I mean, if you've—if you've been—if you have nothing to do, watch the Blue Jays just to watch Vladimir Guerrero because he's basically getting a hit every other at bat. Right. Yeah. Exactly. He's—he's he, he's had the opposite effect that usually happens after a uh, home run derby. So I think that home run derby definitely brought up his confidence in a big way. So I think that's an encouraging sign as well. And hopefully this isn't a lot. I mean, he, you know he's going to be in more home run derbies. He should be like. I hope not. No? I hope not. I hope he just keeps hitting for us. Oh, sure. I mean, but it would be good if he hits as a part of the Blue Jays. So, um, With that being said, I want to uh, thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Tip the Tower podcast. Um, we will definitely have more. We might be doing a Blue Jays app. Uh, sorry, Blue Jays, a Leafs podcast because there are a couple of things I want to get off my chest. And if we have enough time, we'll do that. But we're going to make that into a separate podcast. So make sure you look at where you subscribe your po- to your podcast so you can get that one. And uh, we will definitely have more Jays stuff. Um, probably. We'll probably give it a little time because we want to see how this core is doing and where they progress, and we will go from there.